0: Up for JD this morning? Yes. How's everybody doing? You all doing all right? Yeah. Look at all these wonderful people here. This is fantastic. So next week, if you show up at 11 a.m., I will probably be here by then. But you and I are just going to grab a cup of coffee because services at 3 p.m. next week. <laughs> just remember that prayers at two o'clock. I think worship practice is one o'clock. I don't, one o'clock? Yeah, I don't remember. Um, one o'clock. Uh, so yeah, it's Christmas Eve service. It'll be candlelight. I'm excited um, to share what the Lord's put on my heart and just to sing some Christmas carols. Right? Amen. Well, so today we're gonna do something different. Usually, you know, I'm a big fan of don't give under compulsion. Right? Pre-planned in your heart. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today. So usually we give our tithe and offering in the back corner, but today at the end of service, we're going to do our year-end giving, where I have been asking for you to pray to the Holy Spirit, see what He feels, you feel led to give, and we're going to do that at the end of the service. So you can also go to the website and change that to year-end giving to give to the fund that is going to go to missions and going to go to outreach this coming year. Amen? I'm excited about that. We have a lot of things planned. Um like I think I'd, I'll just share one thing real quick, because we talked about it a lot last week, but over 16% of our tithe and offering this year is going to either missions or outreach, and I'm excited. Yes, it's going to be, uh, we want to give back. We want to We want to honor the Lord in our giving as a church also, so that's important to me that we do that. You yeah, guys ready to get into it? I'm ready. To get... We're not going to, I'm going to spend the first 15 minutes, we're going to do something a little bit different today. You may have never seen this in church before just so you know I'm just preemptively preparing you now some of you may go have a very analytical mind and you are about to love what I'm about to do for 15 minutes and some of you are going to go I already believe it Steve I don't need any evidence I'm sorry right like it's just we're going to do something a little bit different I think this is important because there is a misconception out there that the evidence is solid Millions of years in evolution. Solid. Flood never happened. Right? Like I I literally I watched the Bill Nye and the Ken Ham debate, and he literally will look Ken Ham in the eyes and says the evidence solid. Even though Ken Ham is going at him with all the different evidences, and and he'll go, nope, it's already proven, Bill. You you don't you don't have to you don't have to say anything else. That's not factual. One of my favorite moments when they have debated each other is Bill Nye will go up to you like you go to the North Pole. And we, do, we'll do, we did this, I did this myself. We, do, we drill a hole into the ice, and we bring it up, and we count how many different layers, and that's how I can tell you that the earth is more than 6,000 years old. And Ken Ham said, yeah, I thought you probably would bring that up. He says, have you ever lived in a cold climate before, Bill? Well, yeah. You know that it, like, it gets cold, then it warms up, and it gets cold again, and it warms up, and it gets cold again. And that happens in the North Pole also. And each one of those layers is just a representation of cold, warm, cold, warm, cold, warm. Not year after year. each one of them doesn't represent a year. And it was one of those moments of, gotcha. <laughs> Told you. See what, see what I'm saying? Like the evidence sometimes is just right there in front of our face. So we're going to talk about, we have been preaching through Noah's Ark. And my original plan was to kind of bring this up throughout the sermon series well that didn't happen as well so I'm just going to spend 10 to 15 minutes I'm going to talk a little bit about the evidence that is out there that Noah's flood is a factual thing that it did happen I think it's important because so many people I'm just going to give you grains of things that when someone says millions of years in evolution you go no 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 like this is what this is what the evidence points to the first thing I want to talk to you about is a few questions that doubters have. I want to address some of those things. So, one of the things that you hear often is how could an ancient person build something like the Ark? Has anybody ever thought that before or had that question presented to them? People say, How could that have happened? Without modern technology, how could they have built the Ark? Well, my answer would be you are correct. It would be fairly impossible if you buy into evolution, if you buy into that you get the picture of the monkey man hunched over, carrying a club, right, being really stupid, like if you buy into that, then that, then that would be correct. You could, you could believe that that would be impossible. But that's not what history, and that's not what the evidence tells us it was like. The, the early Egyptians, the Chinese... And in America, there was better science and better art than we give them credit for. In fact, you can look at the evidence and you can see that. And then you can see that it has disappeared and then rediscovered again as if it was brand new. You see that in their culture and in their, in their, in their, in their life. Let me give you an example. This is real simple. Everybody talks about them. Egyptian pyramids. Mayan pyramids, a caveman can't build that, yet they're still standing here today. But the, the, I, the, the ability to build those things was lost for many, many, many centuries. So how did that happen? How did that come about? Let me, get, let me give you a couple others. Did you know that in the days of Noah, the Egyptians were drilling and cutting granite? That was lost to history and then rediscovered as if, as if it was a brand new thing. But we have evidence that they were drilling and cutting granite. The Romans were using concrete. Lost again in history. And then rediscovered as if it was a brand new thing. The, the, listen, humanity has gone through 6,000 years of sinful decay. We aren't getting smarter. We are getting dumber. Right? Thank the Lord Jesus is coming back, new bodies, new earth. It's going to be incredible. Amen? Amen? Amen. There is no known way, naturally, for DNA to add information. We are not getting better. You can take it out, but you can't add it. Right? It's important to understand that. Here's another question. Here's another question. Why does the Bible record the flood and nobody else does? Well, actually, that is not a true statement. All over the world, in every culture, in every different parts of the world, they record a flood. They record a flood. It's foundational to human history. There are 270 ancient flood stories found in ancient history. Let that sink in. 270. And they are very, very close to the same. Right? So, for example, the Hawaiians. The Hawaiians had a story that long after the death of the first man, there was, a, there was a righteous man, or a good man, because everybody else was wicked. And he built a canoe with a house on it. And he loaded up the animals, and the world was flooded. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Israel just said no. <laughs> That's okay, but I'll explain it later. I'm going to explain it later. Another flood story comes out of China. That again, the world was evil, and the world was wicked. And, after, and and one man and his wife and three sons and three daughters got on a boat and survived a flood to wipe out all the wicked people. It's all over the world, 270 stories. Because what happened? Anybody ever play telephone? Right? You, something happens and then the stories change over the course, course of time. It's historical documentation that there was a flood. Some of you are like, okay, see, I didn't need to know this this morning. Some of you are like, this is great, right? Anybody ever hear dinosaurs like me? And what what about the dinosaurs? That's always the first one, right? Tell me about the dinosaurs then. Where did they go? Were they on the ark? Well, I mean, I think that's probably the first question we have to ask ourselves. Were the dinosaurs on the ark? If you go to Scripture, open your Bibles up, go to Job chapter 40, You will read about a creature that does not fit any animal on earth today. A human being wrote that, but it perfectly fits a dinosaur. Perfectly fits it. So, and then you have fossil records of of humanity and dinosaurs together. In my mind, I think that they probably did survive the flood. Now, some people, some creationists even, will say, well, the flood wiped out the dinosaurs. Okay, that's fine if you want to believe that. But I think that they survived. Well, what about their size? It surely couldn't fit on the ark. Well, I've already shown you that the ark would only have to be 40% full with what we have currently. Now, dinosaurs, obviously much bigger, but not all of them. Some of them were as small as chickens. The average size of a dinosaur was about the size of a bison. Let that sink in. Right, Because I remember being a kid and being told, like, thinking in my mind they were as big as the Empire State Building, right? The average size of a dinosaur is about as big as a bison. And most of them would have been juveniles while they were on the, the ark, right? So I'm guessing because you have all over the world accounts of dragons all over the world. This, you'll find cave art of things that look just like a dinosaur drawn on caves, called dragons, that I'm guessing they survived the flood. That would fit perfectly. Now, think about this. Now, there's a lot of different species, but there's only so many kinds of dinosaurs. I think it's hundreds. It's only 60 to 80 different kinds of dinosaurs that actually exist. Different species, but only 60 to 80 different kinds that would have had to been on the flood. Dinosaurs do not present a problem. Do not let anybody fool you with that. Don't worry about dinosaurs. Here's one big question. People ask from a place of doubt, and it's probably a legitimate question. Where did the water go? You ever thought about that? Where did the water go? Much of the water from the the flood would be our modern-day oceans, right? Two-thirds of the earth is covered in, in water. Doesn't necessarily mean that that was the case when when, when uh, creation happened. In fact, most geologists will tell you it appears that one all the continents were together. Anybody ever hear this before? All the continents were together at one time anyway? It's probably fact. There's many creation scientists that believe that it was the separation of the continents that, that caused the mechanism that would cause the flood. Lots of them believe that. So... Then you have to consider that inside the earth there's caverns of massive amounts of water that if you brought up, it would flood the earth completely. Where did the water go? Well, it's still on the earth here. Also, there's, this, uh, there's a psalm that, that seems to indicate that when the flood happened, God rose mountains up and caused basins for the oceans. It seems to indicate that God changed the earth when the flood happened. Let me read it to you. It's Psalms 104. It says this, he set the earth on his foundation so that it would never be moved. You covered it with, with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. Sounds like the flood, right? At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sink deep, sink down to the place that you appointed to them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. The earth was very, very different pre-flood. Very, very different. It changed a lot of things. You guys bored yet? No? Okay. There's some of you that are like, okay, let me, let me just give you a few more things, right? Let's talk about physical evidence, Physical evidence on the earth today that screams flood. You can see from the features of the earth that something catastrophic happened. From canyons to mountains to coal beds. You can see something happened, right? It's it's very, very clear. The The earth is layered in crust that is sedimentary rock. Some places that's miles and miles deep. That was clearly laid by water. Is that not evidence right there? Like the earth is, the crust is made up of rock that was clearly laid by water. That should, I mean, right there, that should be enough, right? Clearly there was water all over the earth. That, That is encased in billions of fossils. So it wasn't always there like that. Right there, staring you right in the face. If you just took the flood for face value, it would be right there. Around the world, there's rock layer that is deposited around the globe that is the same around the earth. The only way that that could have happened is a global flood. There's no other way that we know naturally right now. So let me give you some examples. The, the Ta- Tapeats, hopefully I'm saying that right, the Tapeats sandstone that sits in the Grand Canyon also appears as far away as Wisconsin. You know where else it is? It's in Israel and Libya. Now, there's only one way that that could have happened. Global flood. That's it. It's the only way. It's the only way anybody can think of how that happened. Now, it's under different names, but it's the same stone. You can go to places on the planet, on earth, and you can see rock layer after rock layer deposited. Right? Deposited by water. And that rock layer is bent. So it's bent, goes like this. Now, do you guys know that rock doesn't do that? Right, like you do that with a rock, you're gonna break it in half. Rock layer doesn't bend. So what does that say? All over the earth, this exists. What does that say? It It had to have been buried quickly. Not over millions of years, not over thousands of years, but it had to happen quick. So that when it dried out, it hardened and it looked bent. Because hard rock breaks, it doesn't bend. Evidence right there, right? This is probably, for me, the biggest one. If I'm going to give you any nugget, somebody says, give me evidence for the flood. This is it. All around the world, on every mountain, every place you go, you will find marine life fossils everywhere. Come on. Come on. How come nobody ever talks about that? Like, I just read a study one time just recently. It was just a couple weeks ago. They're like, we're going to prove. We're going to prove that the waters didn't cover the whole earth. So they went up on top of Mount Everest. And you know what they found all over Mount Everest? Marine life fossils. But this is their kicker. We didn't find it on the very peak. That was literally, that was their scientific claim. Like we found it all over Mount Everest. Marine life, jellyfish fossils everywhere, all these things. We didn't find it on the very peak though. Come on, Right? That's clear evidence to me that at one time the earth was covered in water. Getting close to being done. Fossils in and of themselves are clear evidence for a worldwide flood. Because of what it takes to make a fossil. Like if you died, if you died right now, and we took you out in the back of the field and we threw you out there, do you know you wouldn't fossilize? I think there's this concept that like everything fossilizes. No, no, that, does, that doesn't happen. A fossil has to have specific, very clear things happen to it before it will fossilize, or a body does. It has to be buried quickly. It cannot be eaten by scavengers. It has to be, it has to be buried quickly and not eaten by scavengers. It has to be under pressure. To, that, that pressure has to be fairly intense for it to fossilize, Right? All over the world are fossils buried in our earth, billions of them. There's only one thing that could have done that. It wasn't a comet. It wasn't an asteroid from outer space. It was a flood, right? Makes sense. The evidence is just right there. Like, it's just right there. Like, you just, the problem is the condition of the heart. It's the condition of the heart. They refuse to see it. And when you in your mind say, well, I'm not going to believe that, you can find evidence for other things. Sure. Sure. I'm sure you can do that. It's like it always comes down to the heart. Last thing I'm going to point out this morning, before we get into scripture, I know some of you are itch- itching to do that. Last, a couple summers ago, I read a book called Traced. It's one of the best books I've ever read. I have it sitting on my desk if anybody wants to borrow it. It's a little bit complicated. I think most chapters I had to read twice. Traced is written by one of the world's leading geneticists named Nathaniel Jensen. Now, he's also a creationist. He works for Ken Ham, but he's one of the world's best geneticists. He was able to do this. He took the Y chromosome out of men, and he, and he was able to measure the rate of mutations from generation to generation, right? So when, when, when you have a son that the mutation rate, it, the Y chromosome, is different by a certain amount. And then he went back and he was able to measure generations. Now, this was done by other people. And you know what they said? Hundreds of thousands of years. And then he said, that, the science doesn't add up. That's not right. Well, then do it yourself. So he did it himself. And you know what he came to the conclusion of? Humanity is about 4,500 years old. Not millions of years, not hundreds of thousands of years, about 4,500 years old. Then, it's complicated, he's able to take those mutations and he's able to trace it back to one man that had three sons. And he says it's clear as day. Is that not incredible evidence? I mean, come on, guys. Don't let anybody tell you the science is solid, it's already been proven, it's fact. It's not true. It's not true. Amen? (laughs) Okay, I nerded out a little bit. Sorry. I love this stuff. This, this is my stuff. Like, I love this. I love this kind of stuff. I, I actually was watching videos this week of Ken Ham teaching and, and Nathaniel Jensen, Jensen teaching, and it was awesome. It was awesome. He is currently working on a project to piece together Native American history, and he's like, I can do this genetically. Like, I can figure out what happened. Like, I can piece together where they were, what happened, why they were, why there's not many left. You can do all that. It's awesome. All right, who's ready to get in the Word? Yes, Genesis 8, verse 20, says this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter. Is that the worst words in scripture, maybe? Summer and winter. Could have been summer. Day and night shall not cease. So Noah's on the ark 371 days. We talked about how crazy that would have been. 371 days. His feet have not touched solid ground for over a year. And the first thing he does is he gets off the ark and he sacrifices. He makes a sacrifice. Now, how was he able to do that so quickly? I want you to think about that for just a minute. Why, why was that the very first thing that he did? See, I believe that it was because 371 days prior, he made preparations to sacrifice. Think about that, the significance of that. Like, he already knew, and I, there's no indication he knew when he was getting off of that ark. But he had already planned in his head, I'm going to prepare to build an altar... And make a sacrifice. He had no idea what the earth was going to be like when, he, when it was over. Maybe it was going to be the exact same. Maybe everything was still going to be there. He didn't know. Maybe the structures would still exist. But he prepared for a sacrifice. That's a New Testament principle. Did you know that? It's a New Testament principle. I read this to you last week. 2 Corinthians 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. The first point I have for you this morning that I've been asking you to do for over a month now is we should make preparations for sacrificial giving to the Lord. Think about that. We should make preparations for sacrificial giving to the Lord. Not under compulsion, not because some pastor said you're gonna get a brand new house and a new Ferrari, but because you love the Lord. And you've prepared to give. Think about the the situation Noah's in. He's stepping off the ark for the first time. And without getting into the science behind it, the world is completely different. It's very different than what he knows before the flood. It doesn't say that the first thing he does is build a house, even though he's experiencing rain for the first time. What's this all about? This is different. It doesn't say he builds a barn where he can store animals and store food to keep them safe. The first thing he does is he builds an altar and he sacrifices. We talked about this before. Noah walked with God. He loved God. God was his friend, right? He walked with God on a regular daily basis. So I have a a routine every weekday except for when Tracy's on break. Every morning I wake up. One of the very first things I do. Before she is up out of bed, I get up. I get into her purse. It takes me about an hour to try to find her keys. If you ever see her purse, you'll know why. I walk outside and I start her car. Then I come back inside and I get her thermos and I fill it up with ice cold water. That is typically the first two things I do with my day every single weekday so that she has a warm car to drive in and something cold to drink on her way there. To me, that communicates love, right? I'm dedicating the first two things that I do to, to, to my wife. Noah was saying, before I do anything, before I build anything, before I do anything, I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. It communicates love, Noah loved the Lord. And when you really love someone, they are your priority. Let me say that again. Because this is important, guys. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is God your priority? Did you put him first? Because when you really love someone, they are your priority. So the offering that Noah makes here is explained a little bit later in in Scripture. Moses receives under the law exactly what kind of offering this is it's a burnt offering it says it in our scripture it's a burnt offering but but there's no detail what that means until we get to Moses and and that's explained Moses explains that in a burnt offering it's different from the sin offering and it's different from from the other offerings a burnt offering is completely consumed on the altar it's completely consumed okay it's consecration it's saying, God, you can have my life. You can have it all. Nothing left over. Nothing for myself. You can have everything that I'm about. In fact, Paul uses this same language to describe this in Romans chapter 12. Did you Have you guys ever picked up on this? Romans chapter 12 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, any good Jew reading that, and Romans was written to the Jews, oh, he's talking about a burnt offering. Total consecration. Consume it all, God. Noah steps off the ark, and the first thing he does is he says, I'm going to build an altar, I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. Why? Why? Here's one of the reasons I think why. Do you notice there's something missing off the earth right now? Noah steps off the ark. There's something missing. Anybody know what it is? It's the people. They're gone. He's the only one left, him and his family. That's it. Everyone else received judgment. Noah was the only one that was saved. And when God takes you through... You survive and you go through the time where everybody else is receiving judgment and God brings you to a place where you are saved from your sins and there's no other time you want to sacrifice like in that moment. There's no other time you will love the Lord like in those moments. Noah says he wiped them all out. They're gone. They received what was due to them, but I don't know, I'm still here. God saved me and he was thankful. And he was thankful. And here's what happens to so many of us. We get saved. Some of us have been saved for decades. Some of us are newly saved. We get saved. We get saved from our sins. We're passionate. Anybody remember the passion you had when you were saved and you realized just how good God was? And you were passionate. And sacrifice is nothing when you're passionate and you are thankful. And then years go by. Salvation becomes a normal thing. Yeah, of course I'm saved. Yes, I've been walking with the Lord forever. When you lose a little bit of that passion, you lose a little bit of that thankfulness. You know what goes next? The joy for giving. The joy for sacrifice. But the scripture says the Lord loves a joyful giver. We need to remember what God has done for us. That he is the lamb that stepped into the earth, came off of the throne He went from glory to a manger, living with animals, so that every step that he took was on his way to a cross where he would be brutally murdered, hang on a cross, spit on, punched, whipped, all for the forgiveness of our sins. And when you forget that, when you're not thankful for that, you lose your joy for him. Noah was thankful, he was joyful sacrifice is noticed to God I need you I've always needed you I can't do this on my own and Noah think put yourself in his shoes he survived on an ark 371 days everybody else is gone can you imagine that moment I need you God I need you I can't do this on my own and we all should live our lives knowing that let's get into chapter nine real quick I want to point out to you that that in the original text, there's no chapters, there's no verses, right? Like, did you guys know that there's no chapters and no verses in the original text? So the reason I point that out to you is that everything I'm about to read is a direct result of Noah stepping off the ark and sacrificing and producing this pleasing aroma to the Lord. Just want to point that out before we get into it. Verse one, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply." and fill the earth. Skip down to verse 7 with me. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, behold, I established my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast on the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this this is the sign of the covenant that I will make between you and me and every living creature that is with you for all generations. How many generations? So turn to your neighbor this morning and say, he's talking about me. I'm about me. All generations, you're part of that. Verse 13. And I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become, become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant, between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now let's get one thing right. The rainbow is not a symbol of LGBTQ. Amen? The rainbow does not, is not a symbol of sexuality. It is a symbol of a covenant 4,500 years ago that God made with man. So make sure we're teaching our kids that. When they see a rainbow flag, that is not what it was intended for. Amen? Amen. Let's, make sure that that, let's make sure we're doing that. But this is what I want to get to this morning. If you're going to walk away from one thing, get this. Noah walks off the ark. He sacrifices. And the first thing God does is bless it. and says, be fruitful and multiply. I want, that, I want that to sink in this morning. He sacrifices, he produces this, this sweet aroma unto the Lord spiritually, maybe physically to you, but spiritually. And God blesses it and says, "Be fruitful and multiply." See, when we sacrifice to the Lord, we recognize what God has already done in our life. But we also recognize what He's going to do in our life. Noah is starting from scratch. He's starting all over in a world that is not the same. It's going to be a lot of hard work to establish himself. And God blesses it and says, be fruitful and multiply. And when you really think about it, it's no sacrifice at all. It's not. It's not a sacrifice. When you recognize the fact that everything I am, everything that is good in my life, everything that I have comes from God, what is a sacrifice to him? It's not. It's not. Today, in just a few minutes, if Sherry, if you want to come up and play, we're going to give our year-end offering. The church is going to give well over 10% this year in missions and an offering and in an outreach. We're going to take that up here in just a minute. If you've already given, that, that's wonderful. You can give online, too. You can just mark it year-end. But this is, what I want, this is what I want you to know. When you give this morning, you're saying, God, I recognize... What you have already done in my life, and I'm and, and I come expecting what you're going to do in my life. I come expecting. I come expecting. And when you give this morning, this is what I want you to just to in, in your own heart between you and the Holy Spirit. Lord, this is what I expect you to do in me and through me. When I sacrifice this morning. This is what I'm expecting you to do inside of me, because that's important, and through me. This is what I'm expecting you to do in the River Church, everybody here right now, and through the River Church, all the people we're going to reach this coming year in 2024. And we come with expectation. See, you, what you have to know this morning is that God is faithful to his promises. God, What God blesses, no man can contain. Think about this, 4,500 years ago, we started with eight people, eight people. Today, 8.6 billion people live on the earth, 8.6. And that is in spite of all the devil's schemes and all of humanity's sinful nature. There have been plagues and disasters that have wiped out tens of millions of people famines that have wiped out tens of millions of people there have been moments in history that half the population of the world passed away or died but you can't stop what god blesses and when god tells no i'm gonna bless you and be fruitful and multiply he's gonna make it happen and look at us here we are because there's no stopping what god blesses there's no stopping what god wants to do so this morning as we give And we're going to go into a worship song and Pete and Randy are going to get ready to to pass the offering buckets around or you can give online. This morning when you give, I want you to say, God, this is what, I want you to be fruitful and multiply in 2024. It's not for a a mansion. It's not for the Ferrari. It's not like that. But what is God going to do in you, inside of you, which is just as important as anything else? And what is he going to do through you? 8.6 8.6 billion people are on earth after this blessing because there is no stopping what God blesses. Amen? Let's pray this morning. If you all want to stand to your feet to get ready to worship the Lord. God, I thank you. I thank you that what you bless, there's no stopping, Lord. I thank you that what you Want to multiply what you say will be fruitful, there's no stopping it. Even as you told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, here we are, as far away as from Jerusalem as we could be, because what you bless and what you multiply, there's no stopping. And so Lord, I pray for the person right now that is, that is, that is giving this morning and saying, "Lord, I need you to reach my son. I need you to reach my daughter. I need you to reach my grandson." Lord, I need you to to move on my my behalf financially. I need you to move on my behalf spiritually. I need to overcome these things that are in my life. Lord, I pray you bless them and they be fruitful and multiply, Father. Lord, I thank you that you're going to bless the River Church. And I thank you for what you're going to do in us in 2024 and what you're going to do through us in 2024, Lord. Lord, help us to reach our community. Lord, at the end of, the day, the end of 2024, Lord, we want to say, if we cease to exist, if the rapture happened tomorrow and we were all gone, the community would say, we miss them. Lord, we pray for revival. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and change the hearts of people all around us, Father. Change our community, change our nation. Lord, change our world. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.